you must have a theoretical framework to approach any problem that you want to solve. Um, if you want to be successful 99% of the time, then you must have a theoretical framework that you use. And you should be ready and willing to tool and retool that framework from time to time. Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, but they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. We are thrilled to have on Great Minds today someone who's become a dear friend over the last five or six years since we started working on a project together, which we'll talk about. With us today is the Managing Director of Republicom, my good friend Tunji Adayinka. Welcome, Tunji. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, it's really nice. Thank you very much for, for this opportunity. And I guess the first Nigerian who I had ever heard of as a young, relatively young boy was Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, who had an incredible career in the NBA here. I think for the most part, we don't have a great understanding of most of Africa, and Nigeria might be the country that is probably most misunderstood. Tunji, what would be one or two things about Nigeria that are not true that many people believe? And what are the real strengths of Nigeria that most of us don't know? Uh, th th thank you, Matt. So um, from the exposure that we've had over the years, uh, traveling and doing business all over the world, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions that we have is the misconception around fraud um, and Nigeria uh, is regarded uh, in, in some parlance as the as the headquarters of that, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about Internet fraud uh, and, and, you know, card fraud and and all of that. But um, from a, with a lot of people who have interacted with Nigeria, and with with uh, the country, uh, you've you've come to realize that um, in some cases, what you see is actually a very tiny population, a very very low uh, population of people who uh, who engage in fraud, and which is the phenomenon that you have all over the world. You have a zero zero point zero 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 point one percent of a population that is that engages in a certain uh, 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 fraud or whatever it is, and that then begins to define who the people are, especially for those who've never interacted with Nigerians before or who have never been been here before. Um, so that is one of the uh, biggest challenges that you find with people who, who have never been here before. Uh, the second thing is that people also who've, who've never traveled 
this way, especially if, if you haven't been outside the States. I'm very glad you, you've you traveled in Africa. You've been to South Africa. And the first time I remember that you were in South Africa, uh, you, you saw there were some cities we went to that it seemed like we were in Los Angeles or we in, uh, somewhere in, in the United States. Um, and it is the same way because you have different demographics in Nigeria. And there are certain areas where you have uh, a low density, low concentration of population, and where the infrastructure is first class, uh, whether you're talking IT infrastructure, the roads, uh, electricity, and the rest of them. But you also then have those areas where uh, there, there's, there's a, a larger population and um, you have a lot of poverty, uh, as it were. So there's um, an imbalance in uh, income which which you can easily see when you travel from one side of town to another side of town um and uh generally that tends to be the same every everywhere else uh some of the things that that we've seen in nigeria and some of the things that we hold out as very true for for nigerians is is first the resilience um of of the of the people um over the years you found that um We've missed several, several uh, opportunities as, as a nation in terms of development. Um, if you look at the GDP per capita, if you compare what uh, we currently hold to other states in Africa, you probably see that, you know, uh, Nigeria is punching below, well below its weight. Um, but uh, as a people, the people are resilient. Uh, two is that we have a, we have a very varied culture, a base of culture where you have different people from who speak different languages, uh, with English being our former language, and you then have um, a lot to tap to, tap into from a cultural point of view. So culture gives you that uh, strong base uh, to, to, to tap into, especially when you're talking creativity. The third is that you have a renaissance, uh, especially in the tech space, and in the entrepreneurship space, um, and in that in that wise, you find a lot of uh, uh, strong entrepreneurial uh, drive coming out of Nigeria, um, especially when you're talking about tech and when you're talking about uh, uh, entrepreneurship in, in different areas, agriculture and the rest of them. So, so it's a it's a mixed bag. You have you have the positives, you have the negatives. We also have a very high youth population and uh, what that means is uh, of course is, a, is an advantage and is also a disadvantage um, if, if that is not well honest so in 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 summary that is what nigeria presents to you from a distance um, it looks like you know not not much until you get closer to it and you understand really what you're dealing with most people don't understand that africa is really the first and only true mobile first continent where where the role of mobile communications is in a sense much more important and central to the dna of the whole continent than it is anywhere else in the world you're you're very you're very right witness a nation in love with the mobile phone as a 2005 2004 the tele density was really really dismally low the number of fixed lines were so low 
that uh, you had these copper lines, these fixed copper lines, which a lot of people didn't have access to. But one of the be best decisions of the government was to then totally privatize uh, that space. And they, they, they sold the licenses to uh, different companies. And MTN was one of the companies that uh, won a slot uh, or a license. Mobile phone usage is exploding here, everywhere in sub-Saharan Africa. Growth of 18% every year. So there was MTN, there was Econet uh, um, in those days. Um, and of course, NITA was also there. So MTN launched in 2005. And that was the, that was as it was, as it were, the beginning of the explosion. Everyone has one. And, and because everyone has one, it's transforming how people uh, do many other things beyond just communicate. They started off as just communication tools, um, but uh, they've been used from everything to sending money back to uh, people up country, um, to, uh, to payments. A lot of people who never had any access to, uh, to the telephone who never had any access to the internet, the very first uh, phone that they had was their mobile phone. And um, that portended or presented a lot of opportunities. And those opportunities then started to grow um, as, as the company first rolled out the, 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 the services, moved on to 2G, uh, 2.5G or Edge, uh, where the data uh, capacity was was much higher. Uh, before then, we were in the dial-up world. I don't know if you remember the dial-up modems where you, you make this funny sound and uh, <laughs> and you know it was difficult to connect. But then, uh, but then the, the the explosion then started once the te the mobile companies launched and went fully into into overdrive. So you've got a situation where mobile really arrives on the continent roughly two thousand five. I think the same year that Facebook was started. And we've got YouTube coming in 2007, the iPhone, same year. And all of a sudden now, 2020, Nigeria in general and Lagos in particular has gained a global reputation as uh, a place where even the most formidable CEOs out of Silicon Valley are traveling to Lagos to see what's happening there, to learn what's happening there, and not just to learn because they want to know for their own growth plans, but because ideas coming out of Nigeria are now viewed as an export caliber product to take ideas from there and leverage them across the globe. In recent years, technical innovations have been transforming life on the continent of Africa. For example, cell phone networks have sprung up in places that never had landlines, fueling revolutionary advances in communications, commerce, and finance. One tech firm is now creating another kind of opportunity in Africa for young people in need of good jobs. Kylie Atwood has a story from Lagos, Nigeria. Sleek desk, casual dress code, free lunch. It's what you'd expect to see in Silicon Valley. But this is Nigeria, where money from U.S. investors is being used to train a new generation of software engineers. As you can see, the informal economy is alive and well here in Lagos. But Africa is attracting more and more tech startups. In 2017 alone, Africa attracted more than half a billion dollars in startup funding. 
How, Tunji, in 15 years did we go from just starting to a place now that is uh, really performing at, at an incredibly high level in the digital economy? The, you know, there are a few things that, that you need to do to release the human spirit. And, and when you're looking at infrastructure, power would be one. Um, in any country, when you provide um, energy um, efficiently, you will find a multiplier effect um, on, the, on the economy uh, and a very clear opening up very, very quickly. Uh, the second is, is telecommunications. Uh, bef- because there's so many things that are sitting on that pipe. Um, <clears throat> so one of the reasons why, why you know, uh, the world has, has seen what is happening in Africa, especially in the mobile space, is because it has enabled uh, penetration in different um, sectors or spaces that are very critical to the population. Um, one of them is, is finance, for example, uh, if you look at mobile money. So um, we have more mobile phones than you have bank accounts um, in, in Nigeria, for example, uh, because the penetration of mobile phones is higher than the penetration of bank, bank accounts. But what you see in Africa is that um, because you now have a mobile phone, you are able to layer uh, a mobile account on that on that uh, infrastructure on that line, and people are able to access banking even at the basic basic level. In this year's annual letter, Melinda and I make a big bet that almost everyone will have a mobile money bank account, and this will help them save and borrow. It'll really empower them in a big way. But the question is, can this really get out to almost everyone? Other African countries are up to 10, 30, and even 40% of adults having these accounts. But the first country that got started was Kenya. And here we see that there's over a thousand accounts for every thousand adults. That's what we want for everyone. Banking is something that most of us take for granted. But for the poorest, they don't have any banking services. Even in the few cases where loans have been made available, They've been able to start small businesses. So getting that out to everyone is so empowering. It will really change their life. Automatically, what happened was that opened up um, a lot of routes for um, entrepreneurs who first could do um, health, deliver health services, could deliver logistics, um, government services were easier to deliver um, uh, and, and those basic services became very, very uh, important just beyond the voice. So, so the voice service was, was the service that a lot of these companies started with. Um, and at that basic level, it meant that uh, having, so it would reduce the amount of traveling from one location to the other at the basic level. But now imagine when you start to then put on 2.5G and you could do some level of, uh, of good data, passable data, is where transactions could then begin to, 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 to multiply. Um, so banking has taken a very good advantage of, of this. Uh, the number of ATMs uh, or you know, machines that have been rolled out, um, essentially sitting on the same network, 
because you are now able to relay transactions real time on that network. Um, healthcare is another one. Um, work is another one. So we're having this conversation today, sitting on a mobile network, uh, which which is probably a fiber network. But at the end of the day, uh, what the mobile telephony has done for Africa is that it's allowed Africa to leapfrog very quickly um, and get to the first world rather than go through the normal rollout than we would that we would have had to. Incredible. And so your background immersed in mobile, that really prepared you for what was next. It, it was a great it was a great preparation, uh, uh, Matt. Great preparation because um, every day you could see the possibilities. Um, it, it became very clear, you know, working at MTN, um, that the opportunities across the world, and I'm not talking about making money here, I'm talking about the opportunities to touch lives, the opportunities to do great work, um, the opportunities to turn, turn things around uh, uh, within a short spate of time were really uh, very limited. And if, if one did not take those opportunities within a timeline, uh, before you know what, what, what was happening, that would be gone. So um, I think that entrepreneurial drive started to develop from around uh, tequila and then going into connect marketing. In between that time, actually, was when I did my MBA. And uh, that kind of gave a, a framework um, into really what, how to do this from a conceptual point of view. Uh, but having worked in MTN for uh, about five years, uh, I would say I started to develop that itch to to say I don't think that I want to uh, continue to work here as a career. I don't think I want to be a marketing director uh, or managing director in, in this firm uh, because I saw the kind of opportunities which, which uh, entrepreneurship offered um, and then decided to take that uh, – to take the jump and, and, and go for it in 2007. Fantastic. And Tunji, talk a little bit about, you talk about connecting with people and helping people. Somewhere along the line in your personal life, you chose to become a pastor. And I've watched a number of, um, of your sermons on Sundays. How did that help shape the way that you built Republicom, how you chose your partners. Talk about that. Yeah, thank, thank you, Matt. Uh, I, my theory in life is, is that the, uh, there's something that underpins everything that we do, and, and that is uh, our faith in God. Uh, there's something that grounds us. Um, that is our faith in God. And... If you sit down and you think about it and think, for example, of the word that you hear um, in church, for example, you will find out that it is the same word that you hear day after day. But the word is delivered through the light of the Holy Spirit in different ways. Uh, there's something that really uh, gives us a... A, a place to start from, and that is our belief in God. Um, I believe strongly that uh, um, a man 
cannot be anything outside God. Um, and and this is not is not a religious belief uh, per se, because again, one of the challenges that you have in life is you have a lot of religious people, but not godly people. Um, so um, my my belief had always been based on that strong uh, God factor, uh, the strong God factor, uh, which you know at different times would lead you, direct you to what you want to do, um, help you in what you want to do. Uh, because if you look at the, if you look at, you know, where we're coming from and the different theories that we have about how the world came to be, uh, it's very clear that someone somewhere put this together. I, I don't think this dropped from, from somewhere and then started operating on its own. Um, and for me, the frame of reference is the Bible. Um, and that frame of reference kind of guides everything that I do uh, and the choice of partners. Um, so the partners that we work with, and if you look at the entire team in Republicum, uh, the, the CEOs and the different companies are, uh, so this, this, the companies are companies that are almost like standalones on their own, which are doing well on their own and which have very strong people, uh, but who from a philosophical point of view are joined together by by one clear mission, and that is to impact the world, to do something different. Um, and whether whether they are Christians or Muslims or whatever the religion may be that they, they practice, they have that decency. Uh, it's a decency that then allows us to sit together, uh, respect certain norms, written, unwritten, and that also allows us to uh, to 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 go into different spaces that we want to go to. One of the biggest principles in in my faith, um, which I've held uh, very very close by, is the, is the principle of faith, and and that is the principle that dictates that uh, whatever it is that God puts on your mind, that even if you don't have the resources to do it, that God will and can provide those resources to do it. How is He going to provide it? Don't worry. There's a God factor. All you have to do is work hard, um, work well, um, do the right things, buy people, uh, don't cheat people, uh, be, be, be very, very um, open and transparent with people and invest in people, which is, which is the other key thing that has driven us over the years. Invest in people. Uh, in the different companies where we work, you find people that we've kind of, you know, invested in, uh, the first employee in this company, uh, the youngest employee in this company, who come back uh, with that sense of decency and say, you guys invested in me when I had nothing. Uh, people who just wander in, who everybody had given up on. Um, so I see business as an extension of ministry. Uh, and ministry essentially is, uh, this is what God wants you to do, to, to, to do the better for mankind. Fantastic. Well, we've had a chance to spend an awful lot of time together traveling all over the world the last several years. And, and the way you frame it all now, uh, I can say from my own experience that it all rings completely true. And that conviction and your, you have an, a, almost a calmness about you. And uh, my take would be that that comes from your core beliefs and your strength 
and belief that fundamentally, while there are certainly folks that go the wrong way, that most of us start off from a position of trying to do the right thing. You're very, very right. Uh, I, I remember the first time we, we met um, and uh, it, it was very clear that our principles were aligned. Uh, the principles were aligned in terms of the, the way we treat people, in terms of uh, the, the way we look at our partnerships, uh, and which is the other thing that, you know, all, all the time I've always worked in partnerships. Um, and that is one of the, the challenges that you have in uh, Africa a lot of time. So I've always worked in partnerships, which means that you have to trust. Uh, and, and that was very critical. So when the first time we, we, we met, that was very clear in, t- in terms of the way your team was. And I could reflect on that on my team as well. Uh, the second thing was the, that we didn't believe in short termism. So it, it wasn't about uh, the next three months. It was about the next few years and how those things can pan out. Um, and uh, the the other part of this was also the very quiet resoluteness that always tells me that no, 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 I can beat you. But this, I can do this. I can do this. I, I, and and that just is just very critical, especially when you have to face the kind of challenges that we've we've had to face today. Uh, the kind of challenges the world is facing today, you need to be grounded and you need to have that basic understanding that is what will prevent uh, someone from suddenly jumping off the bridge to take their lives because they know that there's someone who is in charge and who is looking out for them. Let's talk a little bit about uh, two things. I want to talk about the growth of Republicom Group and and where you sit today and what your plans are for the future. And I'd also love to hear you tell the story of our shared journey to bring Advertising Week to Africa. So I'll let you pick whichever one you want to talk about first. Excellent, excellent. So, oh, so um, the Advertising Week story uh, is a very, very interesting story. Um, and um, it's kind of intertwined with the Republican story as well. So uh, I think it was about three, four years ago, some of our partners um, who had done some research and because of the way we had defined the the essence of our company, Republicom, um, Republicom was set up you know, as a collaborative uh, business transformation vehicle. Um, for for Africa, uh, for for businesses who want to grow, we see ourselves as a as a global challenger, uh, and with that mindset uh, to play on the global calendar, and and play within you know beyond our local environment, uh, it was very clear that we needed to uh, begin to work and look for platforms that would enable us to leapfrog, and therefore. Some of our partners came up with this idea. It, was, it wasn't my idea, actually. Uh, and they evaluated two different platforms. One of them was Advertising Week. And um, as at that point, then uh, one of our partners, uh, Mr. Tosin Lani um, who sits in, in, in the UK office, then uh, got the charge to meet with, with, with yourself. And that was where the initial discussion started. 
in terms of uh, bringing, looking at partnering with Advertising Week. And at the beginning, um, what we were looking at was the thought leadership opportunities that exist within Advertising Week, uh, because there was a, there was this was an event that was more than an event where you had thought leadership, uh, where you had uh, a, a lot of content um, and also business development. And Tosin then was and still is uh, our main person who was doing that work of the research and the back end work. And after a few meetings, I think that started about three or four years ago, we met uh, in New York. Uh, there was a year we were, we were coming from CES um, and then came to meet you in the office and we sat down and had a, had a discussion and a, a clear meeting of minds. And subsequently, uh, it was very clear to us that we wanted to bring this to Africa. This is quite an exciting event that's coming to Johannesburg for the first time, in fact, Advertising Week. I want to find out a little bit more about it because I have to tell you, I, I don't know much about it, but what I do know is the advertising industry in South Africa is one of those incredible industries to work in and find yourself in because I think we have some of the most brilliant advertising campaign. So let's find out what my guest thinks, though. He's the expert in the industry. So to talk to us about um, about this uh, event that's coming to South Africa, uh, we've got with us um, uh, Tosin Lanipukan, who is the uh, executive director of Advertising Week Africa. So nice to have you. Morning, Leanne. How Welcome. are you? Welcome. Very good. Excellent. I'm really good. Advertising Week, coming yes. to Johannesburg. So yes. this is, a, this is a, a major event. It's massive for us. We're excited to be coming. It, we've been looking forward to this for a while. It's been in the works for about three years. Yeah. Um, Advertising Week is well established internationally. We're in five other global destinations. So New York, London, Mexico. Mexico City, um, Australia, and uh, Tokyo. So for us, adding Johannesburg to this enviable stable of uh, uh, cities is an amazing opportunity for us. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and, and why, why Johannesburg? What, what is it about this place? Excellent question. I think for us, it was actually quite tough deciding on Johannesburg. Why? Because this event is not just about South Africa. It's about the entire continent. So the first question we had to answer is, do we go to West Africa? Yeah. Do we go to East Africa? Or do we come to South Africa? But the overriding concept for us is that everywhere we go, we look for the, if you like, the highest mountain to shout from. Yeah. Um, and in terms of um, excellence in the creative industries. Johannesburg represents that city that punches well above its weight. We didn't see anything like this quite, which was uh, on the continent, to bring the, 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 the industry together um, and also to galvanize and prepare us for the next phase. Some of the challenges that we're facing uh, as the challenges that uh, the, 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 the industry was facing in America when you started advertising week uh, uh, in America is one, the challenge with, with attracting talent, especially young talent. Um, and the other challenges that the industry was facing as well, we saw that in Africa and we, we then saw that this was the right time to birth this uh, um, in, in Africa. I must say that the job you and Tosin, our director for Advertising Week Africa, and the whole team have done to prepare us to launch on a very high plane um, has been incredibly rewarding to watch. And everybody that you brought in in the Republican family, Labo and 
Q and Banju and A. Tayu, the whole team, just all world class. We will get there. I suppose for us, there's an old expression, third time is the charm. And I hope after the uh, cancellation last November due to the sudden outbreak of violence in the inner city in Johannesburg, fueled by xenophobia, uh, and the global condition now of the coronavirus that has ground the economy to a halt. I mean, we had to push Johannesburg, our fifth year of Advertising Week Asia that was planned for Tokyo, and uh, our third year in Sydney, Advertising Week APAC, all compromised. Uh, as we sit here today, we remain hopeful that we'll be back in business in London in mid-September and New York in early October. But, you know, these are strange times, to say the least. But we uh, remain uh, 100% committed to bringing Advertising Week to Africa. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have traveled there with you and throughout the continent. And I know we have a lot more ground to cover as we try to make it truly for the entire continent, um, not just for South Africa. Um, but I, I, I have such respect uh, and affection for you. And I think it starts because of who you are as a person. I think the business opportunity that we both see falls after that. Correct. Correct. The, the, the business opportunity falls, falls right after that. Um, and, and the last three years, we've, we've built very good relationships, uh, just bridges and bridges. Um, and because we're patient people, we also understand that business comes. It would, it would come naturally if we do the right things first. And, and that is what we're, we're trying to do on, on the two sides. Um, I, I think what is also critical is the kind of support system that we've built around ourselves. Um, so um, if you look at uh, the Republicom team, we have a, a solid team that is supporting because I'm sure you wonder sometimes. So if we have a meeting for advisory council in Nigeria or in South Africa, and then would come would, would then uh, go on for the meeting. But we always uh, need to have the team that is solidly managing the business uh, at home, uh, because for each of those times, what we don't want is to allow the core business to sleep while we are uh, uh, working on, on advertising week um, Africa, as it were. So you have that team that is not seen, uh, but that is very, very efficient and very dutiful in terms of the way that they've handled the, the continuous work in terms of where we're going. And we also have the, 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 the advertising week team as well. You mentioned Lebo, um, who has been part of this journey in the last two, three years. Um, uh, and and a, a lot of other people, Judith, uh, Q, uh, uh, and the other people inside the teams in South Africa, um, and the team in Nigeria, the advertisory, the advisory council in Nigeria, led by uh, Mr. Lulu Akimumi, who is the, uh, the chairman of uh, the Primer Garnet Group, uh, very, very uh, uh, committed uh, mentor of ours. Uh, you have the advisory council in Kenya and also the team in Ghana. So that has continued to inspire us um, and most especially the advisory council in South Africa, um, who through the tough calls have, have been able to take the tough decisions to say, guys, uh, we think that we, need, we may need to just wait for a while 
to get this on the line. And I think that is, uh, we, we don't take all of that for granted at all. Um, and that is the same way that the, the entire ship is being built from a, a Republican point of view as well. Listen, we're going to get there. It's taken us a little longer than all of us would have liked. But the passion and commitment um, that we have as a team from our end here in America and from your end leading from Lagos is rock solid. And there is no question. Looks like it's going to be 2021. uh, But there's no question that we are going to get there. Oh, certainly. Certainly we we will get there. Um, And we will get there. It will not be the same world uh, that we left off with in 2020. So a lot of things would have changed by that time. Uh, A lot of things that we're seeing already, uh, which this uh, uh, COVID-19 is teaching us in terms of digital transformation, uh, in terms of... um, uh, leadership um, in terms of uh, you know uh, real life issues and how brands have continued to pitch uh, and send messages and point of views behind uh, very important important issues of life and, and death uh, the importance of the health workers who take a risk every day uh, and go out there to do their work uh, you know, in spite of all the challenges of the environment. So all of that would make the conversations richer, I believe, in 2021 when we emerge victorious um, out of all of this experience. Not if, when we emerge victorious. Fantastic. Well, Tunji, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us here on Great Minds. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much, Matt. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. And original music was by Ian Levy.